Mark Theodosio joins us this week to discuss South Africa's new plan to abandon its rich coal-powered economy with windmills and solar panels, all with the help of one billion of your tax dollars. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden is sending your dollars to encourage South Africa to revert, literally, to the dark ages where load-shedding and rolling blackouts are becoming a way of life. If you think this could never happen here in Tennessee, you won't want to miss this episode. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Wait a minute. Did we talk about this? Yeah, you requested this last week. Yes. Okay. I was like, wait, I thought we. Nice. I got one. Yeah, we ended last week's episode, and Gary said, you've got to play this Muse song. Oh, and you talked about our guest we're going to have on today. Yeah. He's a, a Muse fan, yeah. I, I yes. am. Have yes. you so, heard this? Oh, yes. So, in the studio, we I want to get right into it, because this is going to be a dynamic conversation today. We have a very special guest, longtime friend, uh, client, he's like family to me, Mark Theodosio. We call him Thux. T-H-U-X. So mm. if you hear me say Thux, I'm not saying a bad word. <laughs> I'm saying T-H-U-X, Thux. But um, Thux, welcome. Welcome to our podcast, to our studio. And you are wearing my favorite shirt, like the, sh- the shirt that I yes. like the most of all of your wardrobe, because it's a Vancouver Olympics, right, 2010? Yes, where's the patch? Yes, it has a patch. Yeah. 2010, yes. Mm. Thank you. Man. You're welcome. Kevin really pays attention to a lot of details. Oh, yes. yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> for better or for worse, <laughs> I get in trouble at home for that. <laughs> Too much detail. So before we get into your story, mm. because I think it's, our audience is going to enjoy it and be fascinated, I brought in that Muse song, which is a new song from Muse's new record, because Gary requested it, because the lyrics compliance, and I, and I want to get into this as part of our conversation, uh, it's fascinating because I looked up a couple things on this. But Thux, you were the first person that ever introduced me to the artist Muse. And do you remember when that was? Yo, good question. Um, I remember seeing them in Cincinnati. Yes, that's when it was. Yeah. 2004. Uh, yeah, it was an amazing show, actually. Small, small club. In fact, I remember it so clearly because uh, I remember uh, Bellamy, the singer-guitarist, had to put his rig on a pallet next to the stage because there was no space. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was that was 2004. And I remember you and your wife came and you were on our doorstep and you were so ex- you were dropping off something and he was so excited like you could see it in his eyes and his heart was beating like coming out of his shirt. <laughs> it's like Muse, and I'm like, who the heck is Muse? And you're like, oh my gosh, Kevin, you don't know who Muse is. And of course, they hadn't broken big time yet. They were just developing a following. On that topic, since Gary, Gary, tell us why you wanted me to open with that song this week, because I have, I have some uh, interesting information of which you might not be aware. Well, I mean, it's just so such a symbol of what we've lived through over the last, you know, two, two and a half, almost three years now. And I remember uh, when that song came out, beginning of uh, twenty twenty two, actually. Um, gosh, crazy! That's that's a year ago now, but it was, it was uh, pretty much at the beginning of the year. And my kids, my kids and I loved it. And it's, it was interesting as soon as it came on, they got it like right away. They knew exactly the moment that the words compliance came out, 
they knew exactly. But the name of the album too. There's another song on there I love. It's called the name of the album is called "The Will of the People." Mm-hmm. And so the, the the whole idea of the album is juxtaposing, you know, the the will of the the people versus all of these compliance measures we've been going through. So yeah, it's I just thought the entire album does such a great job of really symbolizing the struggle that I think the entire world find themselves in finds themselves in now reconciling what do they really believe and how far they really willing to go to stand for those beliefs or are we just going to sit by and have compliance so if i may because we probably went through it too quickly in the opening i want to read a couple of the lyrics so our audience knows what we're talking about Uh, it opens with compliance we just need your compliance you will feel no pain anymore and no more defiance we just need your compliance just give us your compliance we won't let you feel lost anymore no more self-reliance Fall into line, you will do as you're told. No choice fatigue, your blood is running cold. We lose control, the world will fall apart. Love of your life will mend your broken heart. Life lived in fear, you need protection. You're all alone, too much rejection. We have what you need, just reach out and touch. We can save you, we can save you. We just need your compliance. Now, I've got some really bad news. So I looked up... An interview, Matthew Bellamy, the songwriter and lead singer of this band. Oh God, don't mm-hmm. des- don't destroy. Well, this all is important my... for this is important don't for our audience. Don't take my joy, hear. Kevin. It's I, I want us to be well aware of what we're talking about to not mislead our audience. So this was from the Los Angeles Times, August twenty sixth last year, two thousand twenty two. Now it's an interesting interview overall, but I want to draw your attention to a couple of questions, and this this is fascinating to me. Just fascinating. You heard the lyrics I just read. You heard Gary talk about it. There are other songs on this record. Listen to the interviewer. Los Angeles Times, August the 22, after this record came out. Do you think it's clear to listeners who you're fighting? In the new song, Compliance, you're singing sarcastically about people falling into line and doing as they're told. It could be interpreted as an anti-woke anthem. Right? That's the question. Mm. Now, the songwriter... The lead singer of the band, Matthew Bellamy, replies, I never thought about it that way. I thought about it in terms of the rising authoritarianism that we're now seeing is a real thing. Trump in this country, but also Putin and the China situation. These ideologies, I feel like we kind of tested waters in the 20th century and realized that fascism and communism are both just absolute disasters and that we don't need to go near that stuff ever again. And yet it's emerging. Okay, hold that for a second. So then the article, the, the guy who's asking, going through the interview says, well, what's your reaction to that? Matthew Bellamy says, I have an anti-authoritarian nature. I don't like the idea of vast centralized power that's very far away from where I live. He goes on to talk about he's from Devon, England, but he married a girl from Texas. He said, so he said, the resistance to something deciding how I should live who has no idea what my day-to-day life is, I can understand it. He's talking about a faraway capital, right? Washington, D.C., dictating to what he's doing in this small town in Texas. Okay, keep going. He says, I actually think the United States structure is really amazing, right? Ways to make laws at the local level. It seems like every month my wife is voting on some sort of proposition. I'm looking at going, wow, England is so behind on that front. We don't ever get to vote on policy, right? This is his honest response. 
So then the question moves to, has becoming wealthy shaped your political views? He says, I don't think so. I remember all my feelings of what it was to be from a poor rural background with no opportunities and all the disadvantages, and I still have some views that would be considered pretty socialist by some. I'm a big believer in universal health care, and I've also come to the view that maybe land shouldn't be privately owned. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So what an inherent, what a basket full of contradictions. Wow. The writer of this song writes a song that clearly, when you listen to the lyrics on their face and when it came out in 2022, we all think, this guy gets it, right? He's feeling the demands for compliance. And no... In his mind, he didn't even see it that way. It, it's, it's you know, James, in the book of James uh, 1.8, talks about a double-minded man. Right. Um, a double-minded man is what? Unstable. That's in right. All, in Unstable all his in all his ways. Mm-hmm. This is clearly evidence of double-mindedness. He he gets authoritarian. I, I say it this way, and I'll, I'll let Thucks have comment, because I know this band is, it's, mm. it, it was an influential band, right, in your music career. The ability to see other people's dictators and not your own. Mm. Isn't that amazing? So he can see it in China and Putin, or he could strangely see it in Trump, but he couldn't feel it any other way and talks about it as if he hates authoritarianism. um, He doesn't like someone from far away dictating what he should do. And yet, on the other hand, he says we shouldn't have private property and we should have universal health care, both of which would be dictated from on high. It's, it's, incredible. A, it's a complete contradiction. Yeah, it's very interesting. Have you have you seen the video for this song? I haven't. Have you, Gary? No. No, you should definitely watch the uh, the video because the video is actually fits perfectly in line. Well, me personally, I thought it fitted perfectly in line with what I thought the general vibe of the song was, what the, the message was. And the videos also feels um, contradictory to what he is actually saying. So, so you're hearing one thing, you're seeing something, and those two things fit together, which doesn't quite obviously fit with what he's saying. Maybe he's um, lying. Maybe he's throwing some things out there for the safety of the interview, and mm-hmm. and and maybe considering the fan base. Not sure. Not yeah. sure. Or or fear of industry. Right. Maybe he actually. Yeah, knows the fan base would appreciate it, but doesn't want to be run out of town. That still doesn't want to make the socialists mad, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. Just, I just found that. Stu- I mean, I was afraid he might have a different meaning behind his lyrics, but this is blatant. He's like, no, no, no. I didn't mean any of those things I just said. Yeah, and and I'd love to. I wonder how much that that interview's been edited and chopped up to to make it work. I don't. It's strange, yeah. but definitely go and. Um, Go and have a look at the video. Yeah, um, you, you might see something different. But when I saw the video, it fitted with what I was hearing. Well, I, I did. I did find it interesting though that in the beginning of the interview, he's because my my first thing went to like the last two years and all the COVID measures, and, right. and he's he's not really thinking about that. He's looking at the dangers of China. Yeah, and and Putin. So I, I found I found that to be a, a little interesting too. That that was where he was coming from, and not necessarily the COVID measures that we've experienced over. Yeah. I, recent years. I, it's stunning to me. Well, that's a great introduction because uh, Mark Thux, who is in the studio with us today, he and I have been in a lot of business uh, in the music business, and that's what brought him to America. Was it 2000? I'll let you sort yep. of tell your, your yeah. bio for our audience before we get into the specific subject that we're going to talk about today. But can you give us a 
five minute bio? Five minutes, is that all? Sorry, I didn't mean to be specific. That's a long time. (laughs) It's a lot of talking. Yeah, no. um, (laughs) Two minute bio. uh, Let's see. Let's go back. Let's wind that clock back. what was I doing? I, I, I finished university um, and, um, well, actually during university, I, I, I was studying law, um, law and commerce. So um, what, what would you call that here? Business science with majors in law. And um, I decided it would be a, a good idea to start a band um, and not just a band, to start a rock band and not just a rock band, a, a rather aggressive uh, rock band. I thought that was a smart thing to do. Um, so I did. <laughs> and... Um, as the years went by, I uh, finished uh, college, started uh, working, actually working uh, for my family business, which was uh, in uh, automobile car sales. So I was uh, I was selling cars, actually. And um, the band was, um, I always thought it was quite good, but, um, <laughs> um, um, and it had a, a good following. Typical, uh, we had a, we call it the uh, the college music explosion in South Africa at that uh, sort of mid nineties. And, um, unfortunately our, our bass player, um, uh, by the name of Ben was, uh, tragically killed in a, in a car accident, which was, um, uh, a huge shock and, uh, really took me, it hit me quite badly. And, uh, the rest of the band members were, it, it, it certainly, as we would say in South Africa, it knocked us for a six, um, mm. which is a, a, a cricket reference. But um, anyway, mm-hmm. not long after that, um, I thought, no, we, we, we need to move ahead and we're still going um, still gonna to do music. We're still going to do a band. That's what Ben would have wanted. And um, I was uh, sitting uh, in church one Sunday evening and there was a, uh, a girl who, who I knew who was quite a good singer and she was sitting a couple of rows in front of me and um, I, I heard pretty clearly God said to me, she should sing. And I was like, okay, she should sing. So I went up to her uh, at the end of the service and I said, hey, um, do you want to come and uh, come and join a band and uh, and sing? And uh, I mean, that was the beginning of uh, what we called the Benjamin Gate, which was a female fronted uh, rock band, not necessarily a band that was aimed at the Christian market, but um, uh, that's sort of what our, our belief was and that was our, our, our worldview and that was what was influencing it. And uh, we did some demos. Um, one of those demos I sent to uh, a mastering engineer here in Nashville. And uh, next thing I know, um, I got an email from uh, Forefront Records. Mm-hmm. They were very interested in the band. It was something new, something different. And um, a couple of months later, I was on the plane and... Uh, flying to Nashville to uh, negotiate whatever the possibilities were. and um, I would say, by the way, you're bald now, but you had hair then. I, I, and I always <laughs> like to remind people that you look much different. You look cooler now, but you look much different then. Uh, yes. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm more streamlined now, but I think I was... <laughs> streamlined. <laughs> but I think I was faster back then. Anyway. Um, so yeah, we, um, we, uh, Forefront Records at the time was, what was that? It was uh, DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline. Um, right. I was going to say Audio Adrenaline. I remember them on Forefront. Yeah. And um, so yeah, we, we um, I, I brought the band across and uh, it was a, a huge uh, sort of uh, adventure and a cultural experience, no doubt. Coming from a small city in, in Port Elizabeth. Um, Port Elizabeth is, or as it's named now, Coberca, which is right 
it's it's literally at the bottom of of South Africa, at the bottom of Africa, coastal coastal city, and um, found ourselves in Nashville. And the next thing we knew, we were touring the U.S. So you know, me myself personally, two hundred and fifty thousand miles, forty five states, in just over two years, it was a it's a lot of mileage on an old van, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Driving on the wrong side of the road with a... <laughs> no, we call that the right side of the road here because it is the right side of the road. Mm. Here we go. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was an amazing adventure. And um, yeah, we, uh, we had a good time and um, we learned a lot, uh, met a lot of people. And um, we did, uh, did some touring in Europe as well. We went to the UK, went to Sweden, Holland... And, um, yeah, I think it lasted, uh, three years to 2003. And then, uh, after that, I remained in the music business and, um, you know, I, I still am to a certain right. degree. So talk about when you came to America, it was just you and your wife. You didn't have any children, but you've had a couple of children who were born here. Yes. Um, so they are American citizens. But you and your wife became citizens finally. I know I always tease you about this because you had the opportunity to become a citizen earlier. You kind of delayed it, and your wife went ahead and finished. The pro so tell us about that. When did you become a citizen? Yeah, we decided to tag team that. So yeah, um, my two boys are now 13 and 15, so, and they're both born here, obviously, are, are, are citizens. And um, it took us a while to um, go through the whole green card process and the citizenship process and um, it's faster now than it was when we went through it but um, I also very expensive too right yeah very expensive I mean it's you've got your legal fees um, and you've also obviously got your your uh, government fees it's not a it's not a simple process um, certainly not the way we went about it but um, uh, yeah my wife became a, a citizen before I did and then uh, after she got her citizenship I went ahead and did mine. So I've only been a citizen, what, two years now, I think. Yes, but you've been American in heart for the whole time you've been yeah. here. <laughs> Interestingly, the only ceremony, uh, it's called naturalization, right? Yes. I'm yes. pretty mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. The only ceremony like that I've ever been to was for a friend of mine who was from South Africa. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, up in New York. It, I have to, and it was really, it was a really moving event. Yeah. I mean, to see someone kind of, renounce their foreign citizenship, pledge to take up arms if necessary and defend America. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's really, we, you know, I look, I look at that process sometimes and those of us born here, like, there's really, unless you are in the military, outside of that, there's really never a point in time where you make that commitment necessarily outside mm -hmm. of being born here. And so it was, I found it a really, a real blessing to be a part of it. Tell us about the do you mind if I say the cost? Because I think you told me over the time period it cost you over sixty thousand dollars, right? Yeah, that's that's probably <clears throat> close to being accurate. Going through the green card mm -hmm. and your your yeah. visa process. So how does it make you feel having gone through the legal process and paying sixty thousand dollars of Man, your I know a way money you could have done that for so much cheaper. When everyone else is just going across the border <laughs> of Mexico. I'd like to send an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a good answer, actually. You know, like, who can I invoice for this? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, look, we, we, um, I was very intentional. I was serious about this, you know, it's, it's, um, and, um, yeah, it's just expensive and it was a long haul, but, um, this is, um, we were, I, I made the commitment. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to achieve. And I felt 
this is what God wanted and and where God wanted me. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I just plowed ahead, put my head down and just went, okay. So it's with that context now that I want to talk about this this subject, which made me very interested. In fact, the article that we're going to use as our platform, you sent to me. Yes. We exchange the articles like this all the time in the office. So the title of the article, and this is a South African who wrote this article. So it's the context of South Africa seeking money from the uh, World Bank and money from the United States of America. But the title of the article, and I'll read just a few clips, and then I want you to explain what's really happening. So the title of the article is, Deal to Help South Africa is Breakthrough for the World. Now what's interesting is the very first paragraph, the very first sentence of this article says, South Africa generates 80% of its electricity by burning coal, more than any other industrialized nation. Okay, I'm going to say that again. South Africa generates 80% of its electricity burning coal, more than any other industrialized nation. Now sit that over here on the shelf. The article goes along to talk about how the South African government, with the help of the United States and European nations, is embarking on an audacious plan to quit coal without undermining, quote-unquote, economic growth. Why are they doing this? Oh, green energy. Yes, climate change, right? That's what they say, right? The real reason, of course, we're going to get into, but let me give you a couple more quotes from this to kind of set the stage for our discussion. The United States has committed... Here's a good quiz question, Gary. Do you know how much money... The United States has committed to this effort. Uh, of your money, my money, now Fux's money. To, to do it just in the United States? No, to send to South Africa to oh, discourage oh, them it. from using coal, which, by the way, hmm. <laughs> provides 80% of their electricity. And we're trying to discourage them from using coal. Let's see. I mean, we've sent you know, over $40 billion to Ukraine multiple occasions for a war. How much would we send to tell them not to use coal? I don't know. It's a billion. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you read this article no, just again I didn't, today? No. Wow. He he's got to get a penguin's goal horn for that. That's a great answer. Um there's a total of 8.5 billion and the United States is providing a billion of that and the effort is being proposed as a means of stopping quote unquote climate change, right? So the author goes on to talk about how this is a wonderful thing to get them off coal. So Let's talk, Thux, about what's really happening and and tell us about the South African culture, what they're likely doing with this money. Because do, do we think this money is actually going to go into windmills and, and solar panels? And even if it did, are they going to work? And um, don't they have problems with blackouts? You were just there at Christmas time, right? They're, they're dealing Great. with blackouts now, right. even before this money. So, yeah, the, the, it's, it's, it's such a bizarre situation. Uh, look, South Africa had in the past, one of the most advanced electricity production and distribution systems in the world. It was phenomenal. Now, yes, majority of of power is provided by coal burning. They've got coal burning power stations all Mm -hmm. over the country. Um, They have one nuclear power station called Kuburg, which is in the Western Cape. Um, And um, they've had that nuclear power station. It's the only one in Africa. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do believe that's correct. Very advanced and very capable, but um, as the years went by, South Africa's had a, uh, let's just say, a corruption issue. 
a lot of corruption within the government, and that's filtered through to everything. Now, Eskom is a um, it's a state uh, governed electricity system, uh, so it's a um, something which is obviously subject to control by the government. Uh, and that, uh, and that covers the entire country. There is no privatized uh, electric distribution there. Correct. Okay. And uh, not only that, Eskom provides electricity to large large parts of Africa, not just South Africa, large parts of Africa, because it was at the time so advanced. And uh, electricity production and electricity distribution in Africa has been not good, not good at all. And um, that's just the way that it is. So what happened was when you have something which as, uh, you know, you have advanced electricity production and a system that works, it's not something that you can just leave and think that it's going to take care of itself. It needs a lot of maintenance. And South Africa as a country has grown exponentially uh, in, in, in the decades that have gone. In fact, it's a country now of, I think, 60 million people. Wow. Um, big uh, gross domestic uh, product, massive uh, exporter of a lot of minerals, iron ore, platinum, gold, uh, agriculture. I mean, it's a... It's it's a beast of an economy. There's, it's it's not a uh, it's not Mickey Mouse by any means, and I think their major main trading partners are actually China first, and then the U.S. second. So it's 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 quite a big deal. But what happened is as the years went by and as the uh, economy uh, grew and and the and the population grew, um, they couldn't provide electricity for the existing system, and they never maintained it. So you had two you had two issues. Number one. A failure to continue growing the production, um, which and the easiest way to do that is through burning coal and and building more coal power stations. Uh, in a perfect world, you know, nuclear is is, is probably the, the the better answer, but um, coal is is short term is much cheaper. And of course, South Africa has a huge amount of coal. It's a coal rich country, so it's it's not difficult for them to get it out of the ground. But they uh, they didn't do that. There was corruption where money uh, needed to go yeah, to funneled somewhere else. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and so, that's and that's not a um, you know that's not a secret. That's a, a you know it's it's a common uh, everybody knows that. And um, um, what what's happened is through over the years as this uh, scenario has escalated and escalated and escalated, you've got to the point now where there simply is not enough electricity to run a country. So they have what they call rolling blackouts. In South Africa, we call it- Like California. In South Africa, we Mm -hmm. call it load shedding, uh, load shedding uh, TM. Um, You can trademark it as a South African thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, they have a, uh, in fact, I've still got it on my phone. I can can call it up, but they they have a little app that you open up and you can see, okay, in my particular area, we're going to have no power during this time of day. Every single day. Pretty much, and and it's so normal there. There's literally an app for that, so you can track your load shedding in your Correct. local area. Yeah, wow. Correct. Was, was this going on? When did this start? You know, I can't remember, but um, it's certainly been like this for the last three or four years that okay. I've been visiting. But it wasn't when you were when you were when you left South Africa no. twenty twenty five years ago yeah. and came to America the first time. Yes, that wasn't normal. No. So now there's a generation it's being a recent raised development. Yeah. Yes. And it's and they're trying to force this normalcy because clearly, unless you agree otherwise, 
removing more coal, they, right? They're already behind. So shutting down coal deliberately to replace it with solar and wind yes. is only going to make the problem, it's going to exacerbate it, right? Correct. I mean, there's no sort of a visual. This is a, sort of a strange uh, visual. Just south of of the the city of, of Port Elizabeth, Quebec, there's a, a, a town called uh, St. Francis Bay. So it's, it's Jeffrey's Bay and St. Francis Bay. Jeffrey's Bay is a little uh, surf town beautiful they have the the, the world surf uh, league goes through there every year beautiful beautiful little town and then st francis bay which is also a um that's more of a sort of a, a i don't know like a, let's call it a holiday town mm-hmm. although a lot of people are, are live there permanently now right outside of st francis bay they have a tremendous number of wind turbines so you can be standing on the beach uh looking out in the middle of load shedding, nobody's got electricity. Mm-hmm. And you can just see all these wind turbines turning in. And, and you think to yourself, so we've got no electricity, but we've got wind turbines. And of course, I don't know all the details and I don't know the background to this, but my gosh. Well, curious about that. Whenever I go by a wind farm, like in Texas or in Colorado or Arizona, they're never all operating at the same time. Is this the case? Yeah, I mean, very often you'll have, you can look out there and you'll wonder, well, you know, you've got five of them, you know, turning beautifully, but that sixth one is pointing the wrong way. Well, it's even worse than that in Texas. In Texas, the wind farms that I've driven through, you may have, oh gosh, maybe a hundred windmills, but they're all in a concentrated area, right? And you have the same amount of wind, whether it's a 10 mile an hour wind, whether it's 20, whether it's five, they're all close enough in proximity that it's not as if you can say, well, those windmills are getting the wind and these are not. Right. And you have random ones working. You have mm-hmm. one here, two there, these three are not working, which tells you what? They're not being driven by the wind, right? Because all of these windmills we know have backup power. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, so they're being run by Normal gas power generators are running them when they're off lights. There's a there's certainly a reliability issue. But my understanding with the wind turbines is they actually they actually use a huge amount of oil mm-hmm. because they have to be oiled. That's right. In in order to to spin, and apparently it's, it needs to be highly refined yeah. as well. Yeah. So, but but at least I w- at least I would imagine though in South Africa they don't freeze. They don't freeze, no. <laughs> right? So no. they work there, contrary to Texas. <laughs> but right. I mean, I mean, you need to, to to put this into context, though. You need to understand sort of the impact of what load shedding does, because you know when you've got they might have load shedding, uh, you know, at eight o'clock at night. So you've got for two hours between eight and ten, there's there's no power. But they can also shift that load shedding to between eight and ten in the morning. Or what about between two and four in the afternoon? That, that's all very common, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, from a from an American perspective, you know, you have to think about that and just put yourself in a position where suddenly the power goes down for two hours in the middle of the day, every day. How does that influence everything from every uh, productivity goes way yeah, it goes down. way? That's exactly what yeah. I was. Thinking. But but everything, you know, and everything just comes to a flying halt, including schools. You know, so what happens is you you end up then moving to the fact that oh my gosh we can't provide enough electricity so we have to do sort of the uh, it becomes a, a personal responsibility so you have all the businesses that are then moving to generators 
So you've got massive generators that are <laughs> actually gas powered, uh, noisy. Well, actually diesel. So d- diesel is a big deal. A- Africa <clears throat> runs on diesel. If anybody, you know, anything about Africa runs on. Di- there's mm-hmm. two things about uh, Africa that you need to know. That number one, uh, you can pretty much buy a Coca-Cola anywhere. You might not be able to get running water, but you can get a Coke. You're good to go. <laughs> Gary would like that. And um, you need diesel for everything. That's just how it is. So I actually watched them building a new KFC, uh, not not far from uh, uh, where my, my parents live. And, um, you know, they, they, when they build something like that, now they actually build the whole separate unit for the generator to sit on and the generator's got its little box and it's all part of the sign writing and they come do the graphics across the whole thing because... That's how it is. Every single thing has to have a generator, generator. because you know you just you're going to run out of power. The power's going to cut at some stage, and that's just the way it is. That is life. And then, from a personal perspective, people are moving to batteries inside the house. Every house has got an inverter in it. So what happens is the electricity will power the in- inverter. The battery charges the battery. Power goes off. Battery comes on. Provides electricity. Basic electricity for the house. You're not gonna, yeah, basic, not everything. Yeah, you're not going to boil, boil your kettle because that's a problem. Watch out for that microwave. But hey, you know what? You can watch the TV. That's going to be okay. Uh, lights <laughs> now, are going to work. Now, now I want to I just – so I'm, I'm sitting here with them processing this. So, Thucks, to, the, to our listeners here in Tennessee who are thinking, yeah, but, you know, it's South Africa. Right. Like, I mean, come on. It's South Africa. Like, that's not going to happen here in Tennessee. Like, would, would you ever have – dreamed in your mind as a South African that that would become a, a normal part of South African life because and I'm, I'm asking you that because there are are Tennesseans or folks here in America that are listening to that story and that's what they're thinking they're thinking yeah but that's that's never going to be part of normal life here in America yeah that's the thing that um that's the worry um, and that's the sort of um, complacency uh, that you can find yourself in because make no mistake, I never thought that would happen in South Africa. I mean, it's South Africa for goodness sake. We always, you know, I, I have a very high regard for the country and I have a very high regard for a lot of the uh, people that are in the country and a lot of the ability. South Africa covers so many bases from producing some of the greatest minds, uh, you know, it's, whether it's Elon Musk, through to some of the greatest sportsmen, you know, Wade for Niekirk, 400 meters world record. There's so many facets to that country. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. But at no time did I ever think that, oh my gosh, how did we get here? How do we even get out of here? And what happens is it's sort of the frog in the pot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the slow boil. And then before you know it, the slow boil is not so slow anymore. Because suddenly what took maybe 10 years, then it becomes five years, then it becomes one year, and suddenly everything seems to happen so quickly. Because 10 years, a decade passes very, very quickly. And then before you know it, you're in that situation. And um, it is, it's, it's, it's certainly a, a very relevant alarm bell for, you know, Tennessee. Because let me tell you, if... if um, uh, over a period of time, if they decide that uh, our uh, regular production of electricity is not uh, not up to meeting the uh, required world standards and we have to make a move, we might find ourselves in trouble well, very think, quickly. Think of it. We, it happened over Christmas. I know you weren't, weren't here, but we had rolling blackouts at Christmas time. On Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
during lunch. And 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 churches, <laughs> right? Well, the pot's on the stove. I, I, ironically, do, do you think it was an accident that churches lost power uh, in Nashville now? And we're not even on, you know, yeah. windmills and, and this kind of emphasis for solar to the degree that we're pushing. And yet we're spending, Gary, our taxpayer dollars to send to South Africa to ask them to stop, stop doing what coal. makes them prosperous. That's right. And so... Thux, when you and I were talking about this in the office, you also told me, what are they doing with the coal then? They've got massive amounts of coal, which they're being paid That's a good question. not to use. What have you seen? Well, look, there's a black market for coal in, in Southern Africa. Pardon the pun. Well, I mean, it is, it, it's, uh, it's uh, and there's a, yeah, there's a very well-known uh, TV program that uh, investigates uh, all of uh, Anything of interest and possible corruption, um, and uh, ironically, in December they were they had a they were investigating a thing called coal switching, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to sit down and watch this. This coal switching sounds like fun." <laughs> and um, basically, what happens is you've got all of this what they call high quality coal that is supposed to go to the um, the power stations to, mm-hmm. to be burnt, and then a lot of it is also because coal is, is is a major part of the export market as well. South Africa exports a lot of coal. China, India, well, probably Germany now as well, mm-hmm. since uh, since they've got a natural gas issue. But um, the high potent coal versus the right. lower level coal. So what happens is they put all this coal in these in these coal trucks, and off the coal trucks go. Um, and uh, it, actually, somebody posted a, a video that I saw it on. Um, it was sent to me, and I also saw it on Twitter. And you've got all of these coal trucks lined up like. Miles and miles of trucks going into Richards Bay, which is a port where they export the coal. And what they're actually doing is they're taking the high-quality coal. The driver drives the truck. He stops um, at a certain destination, switches the trailer for the low-quality coal, and then the low-quality coal goes off to the power station. And then the high-quality coal is now entering the black market to be sold elsewhere. And let me tell you, he has… to other countries, I'm guessing. Who, buy, who it's, buys coal? It's, it's probably a little bit of everything. We yeah. know that China yeah. definitely buys coal, but I, just just in the conceptually, this is always what happens. When government impedes and interferes with the natural flow of a marketplace, right. natural supply and demand. People find a way. People always find a way. Some of it in a good way, yes. but others for just corruption. Those good and old it's, bootleggers it's, yeah, it's back just, in Prohibition. <laughs> well, I mean, the reality is, if so true. If somebody is 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 um, deciding that you shouldn't burn coal, I'm telling you, somebody else is going to burn that coal. Yeah. And by and large, that somebody else is your competitor, and sometimes your enemy. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. So here's the deal that, um, and this is the, this was in December, early early January. I was standing on a bridge between Zimbabwe and Zambia. We'd gone up to Zimbabwe and uh, to the Victoria Falls, actually. And um, uh, I was standing on the bridge and um, there's this this guy behind me, a Zambian guy trying to sell me these little curios, you know, a little carved elephant and a mm-hmm. little carved hippo and um, uh, a little carved rhino. He wanted me to buy all three. Very, very nice. But, uh, um, you know, you get the, the, the trifecta. And there was this <laughs> big truck um, on the bridge and uh, there was a little bit of a, a sort of a traffic jam. And I said to the guy, um, the Zambian guy, I said, hey, what's what's in the truck? And he says to me, oh, it's it's coal. I said, really? He goes to me, yeah, they, they're switching out the coal. 
So you so saw it live. They knew. And Everybody knows. And Everybody's like, in on it. Oh, it's like, yeah, I mean, here, just understand. Here's this guy who his job, how he makes his money is to smell, is, is to smell, is to, is to, I could smell the coal, is to carve small little wooden collectibles for tourists. But he knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And and a side note to that, just just whilst it's it's on my mind, completely side note, but I've got to tell you about it because it, it happened at the same time. When I was walking to the bridge, I had another uh, guy trying to sell me a, a curios, which in this case was a, a copper a copper bangle. Right. Uh, now, copper is something else which is in high demand in South right. Africa. And it's also, there's a big black market for, for copper. And which is also part of one of the other reasons why they have a power issues in South Africa because they steal the copper wire. It's a uh, uh, power, power transmission has got a problem. Anyway, but um, uh, the guy was saying, you know, please, can you buy this, please? And he's got all of these sales techniques and this guy will walk a mile next right. to you trying to get you to buy this thing. But um, the, the interesting thing about it is, is he said to me, you know, we had two years where we just didn't have tourists. So I said to him, well, where did the tourists go? And he said to me, no, COVID, they, everything was shut down and the army came and made people stay in their houses. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I mean, it's quite possible. I mean, I know they shut everything down. I'm not sure about the army making sure people couldn't leave, but but he was adamant about it. And uh, I asked him about it. I said, well, you know, was COVID serious? He said to me, no, there was no COVID. COVID is not serious when people can't eat because they, mm. they can't provide for their families. Mm-hmm. And it, was a, it was a shocker coming from somebody who lives at what from an American perspective you would call the lowest of the low. Subsistence level, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, these are, uh, and it's a complete side note, but South Africa, Zimbabwe, these are countries that, um, I mean, South Africa, they shut that country down and it couldn't afford to do it. You cannot do that. To countries like that. So anyway, that's a side note of of coal switching. So I want to expand our conversation, Gary, because I think it's great. Thucks and I have a lot of conversations in the office. In fact, when everything was shut down, of course, we're in the music business and we work in an office that's full of the music business personnel. And when we were forced out of business because we were declared non-essential in uh, March of 2020, the music business went out first and we were last to get going, right? So they stopped every anything that had anything to do with live performances, we were not permitted to do. So everybody who had money that was dependent upon live income or live performance just dropped off. Nothing. Gone. The office became very quiet and we used to spend a lot of hours right from the start talking about all of this. We had, for yep. a year, we had a prayer group in the office. So... Thux knows more than just about South Africa, so I wanted Gary to shift our discussion to some things going on to Tennessee, but so that you can also have some input because you are a Tennessean and you yes. are an American. So let's let's shift that. Let's talk about some of the things because you've been on Capitol Hill this week, Capitol Hill Legislative Plaza, <laughs> our Capitol Hill, right? Well, I mean, just even in the energy space, and it, it's not that I've only been, you know, in committee hearings and there's uh, this this past week actually was the first week where things really got hot and heavy where you actually saw we're past the organization phase and we're actually hearing bills now but as I've been reading all of the bills being filed in the legislature you know it's amazing some of the things I've I've come across there is there are a lot of bills being 
put in to create these like two and three year let's put x amount of budget to create this study you know let's study whether or not or how we would implement a digital id for example that got submitted thankfully uh that actually got withdrawn praise god for oh, that good but, sure. but but let's study all of these different things and that has led to um, a lot of talk about energy, and so there's also been some recent articles. I'm listening to what you're saying, and you know, I know I asked you to ask. I asked you the question: Are we kind of talked about people thinking, "Well, that can't happen here"? It's worth noting that we're already having those kinds of conversations in the context of electric vehicles and the blackout that we just experienced, which, by the way, had I believe happened because. TVA itself acknowledged that it mm-hmm. has been shutting down various yes. coal production plants throughout Tennessee. And I believe that we actually faced a moment where temperatures got to the place where we perhaps did not have the capacity because of the coal production we've shut down. Which, by the way, happened because they've changed the board members now of TVA. There's a lot of uh, Biden Obama appointees who are strictly environmentalist mm-hmm. leftist you know, serious Marxists who are now on the board of TVA. So this is deliberate. But but now, and you know, we, we hinted at this a little bit last week, Kevin, when we talked about like liberty and locomotion. And now the conversation is, there was a recent article, I can't remember the, the publication, but where TVA did an interview and acknowledged that in their estimation, there would be an issue for the grid in Tennessee to power all of these electric vehicles for our population. So literally, this this power distributor, just this our federal agency, I should say, has now acknowledged that that's an issue. The government in Tennessee sees the coming of electric vehicles as an issue, also because they're already seeing a decline in gas taxes, mm-hmm. right? And so to supplement the gas tax, we're talking about these usage fees. Mm -hmm. But I found something even further about that today. There was an interview done about these usage fees by uh, Knoxville Senator Becky Massey. And she said in this interview she had been part of a pilot program to see how these usage fees would be implemented. And I I believe uh, installed some sort of GPS device so that, of course, she could be tracked and Mm -hmm. charged a certain usage fee. She said in some meetings that she has been in that the usage fee to supplement the gas taxes for our transportation seems to be promising. However, it would not be enough unless neighboring states also did the same. Did the same. Mm-hmm. Because she said, I think her estimation was up to 40% of our gas tax is collected from people traveling into Tennessee mm-hmm. or through Tennessee mm-hmm. from other states, right? Yep. Which means not only do we need Tennessee citizens to be tracked so they can pay usage fees, we need neighboring states and those people to be tracked so that when they drive through Tennessee, mm-hmm. they're paying their share of usage fees. And I'm so I'm just I'm thinking about all this into where this goes in terms of not only a limitation on on energy usage, but now a complete shift in because we're using less of this type of energy, we've got to get our taxes from somewhere else, which means we need to be tracked, which means, of course, the conversation about this is all about control, where right. they get you into this electric vehicle and all these other things so that they can turn you off. I mean, it's 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 scary, and I'm seeing, and the thing is, it's not just conjecture and conversations being had. These bills are being yeah, filed. They're real. You know, this is this is real. Tennesseans need to to 
wake up and understand that these are real conversations. Mm. You know, we have Lux in the studio today who's telling us the real situation on the ground in a very modern, technologically advanced country like South Africa, combined with the fact that our legislature is passing bills and doing studies and and state senators are involved in pilot programs, right? right? Like this stuff is real. It's happening right now. And we've got to be really active and engaged in putting the brakes on all of these things. Unless we forget, the other part that makes that even more real is we know how much Tennessee is involved in and the government has invited the entire industry of electric vehicles, right? Batteries in Chattanooga area, right? The Ford plant in Memphis, which is going to be devoted to electric vehicles for Ford. The hybrid truck. No, the... uh, the Ford Lightning, yeah. So you have a government of the state which is ideologically desirous of an electric vehicle environment and an electric vehicle economy with the TVA, which is admitted they can't sustain that, right? Right. Something's got to give, and their ideologies always, unfortunately, lead the way no matter the damage, right? This is utopian Marxist theory. Right. So, yes, the everything that Thux has told us today is real, and I wanted him to come on to our program to talk about this because it is a warning, right? We have someone who moved to America, right? You came here for freedom, and now you're seeing all of the the telltale signs of a nation that is surrendering its sovereignty, surrendering good thinking, right? Surrendering Great. common sense to this this myth and this bad ideology which is going to destroy us. The other thing is that people... I think, generally speaking, fail to understand exactly what an, uh, a power production shift actually means. Moving from something which is cheap, er, cheap and reliable, um, those two things. If you move to wind turbines and solar, neither of those are anywhere near as cheap and certainly not anywhere near as reliable right. as anyone would like to think. And part and parcel of that whole situation are the batteries Mm -hmm. because you need to store the power. You need to put it somewhere. What do you do with that? Do you have enough raw materials? Who's producing the batteries? What's happening? Who's producing the wind turbines? Who's producing, you know, and suddenly you realize, oh, hang on a second. All we're actually doing is tossing our independence, our energy independence away. Bingo. And giving it to a competitor or an enemy. Enemy. Depending on on, on how you want to, you know. Yeah. And and this is this is the nature uh, of it. And and let me tell you, when you move to to load shedding, where you you know you've got two or three hours and a day where you don't have electricity, that's that's your you that's coming out of your own personal mm-hmm. pocket. You're the one paying for the solar panels on your roof. You're the one paying for the battery. You know it's it's, and in this case, you're also the one that's paying for the solar panels. On the South African, yeah, the billion <laughs> right? dollars we just sent over. Yeah. By the way, a coda on that. The this journalist explains that well. That eight billion, one billion of which comes from the United States, is just the beginning, right? Government right. programs always need more. He says it's really going to take about ninety-eight billion over the next five years to start this faster transition. Because listen to this. This is such like government mindset. Foreign aid, he says, quote, can support investments in infrastructure 
that are less attractive to private investors. Of course. No kidding. Why is it not attractive <laughs> to private investors? Because it doesn't, doesn't make money. Yeah, it no just money. costs money. And well, just and just so everyone uh, is clear, whenever the state of Tennessee asks you to download your very first load shedding app, you heard it oh here first gosh, on yeah. the Freedom Matters podcast. The other thing as well is that um, the realization that that uh, if, for example, uh, people start moving to you know personal energy production, let's say you do your solar and do your battery, mm-hmm. and let's say you then are off the grid, well, who's going to then pay the electricity companies that are still providing electricity. So those companies suddenly have to charge more to mm-hmm. meet their bottom line because you've got all the private people that are taking themselves off the grid. Yeah, so then the more reliable sources are no longer cheap and reliable. Now Correct. they're very expensive right. and Correct. reliable. I mean, it's it's an ecosystem of, of oh man, it's, it's, I don't even, when you look at it from, from sort of a, a, a tabletop view, it's stupidity. It's too be. It's too bad the uh, FBI confiscated all those records and hid all of that free energy that Nikola Tesla discovered so many years ago. Right? It's a shame. The, the FBI, which, by the way, on that note, just today I read that they are building. Did you see this? Uh-huh. The FBI is constructing a building for their offices, which is going to be twice as large as the Pentagon which until very recently was the largest office building in the world. So now we're going to build an FBI whose, of course, objective is, and, and in all of this, it's all about to surveil equality and people. diversity and, yes, and surveilling the U.S. citizen. In the interest of time, I thought you both would enjoy going out with this. This is lyrics from another Muse song that um, now having known the, the mindset of Matthew Bellamy, this one was written in 2009. You'd think it'd be prophetic, right? Paranoia is in bloom. You guys know this song. The PR transmissions will resume. They'll try to push drugs that keep us all dumbed down and hope that we'll never see the truth around. Another promise, another scene, another package lie to keep us trapped in greed and all the green belts wrapped around our minds and an endless red tape to keep the truth confined. So this song, Uprising, there's a line where he says, it's time that the fat cats had a heart attack. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about mRNA making people to have heart attacks. They are. 2009, proving this point, that the knowledge of God is inescapable. And if people don't praise him, he'll cause the rocks to cry out. Whether Matthew Bellamy knows that he's telling the truth, he is indeed telling the truth. Let's listen to more of that, Ben. Ducks, thanks for uh, coming on. It's great to have someone in the studio, isn't it? Thank you. Thanks very much. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>